It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax must update rewards. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the podcast the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. So we're now well into our season celebrating wildlife and wild places across Britain this spring and we're keen to look at different landscapes each episode and what might be found there. In this episode, episode four, and incredibly our hundredth episode since we launched the podcast in 2019, we meet our old friend Kevin Parr in a strange forgotten habitat of coastal scrubland near Chesil Beach in Dorset. We sent Kevin out in late February to see the very first stirrings of spring and particularly we wanted him to find adders, Britain's only venomous snake. As well as being an angler, writer and naturalist, Kevin is something of a snake charmer. So listen on to find out how his day went. Later, I'm absolutely delighted to say that Kevin joins me and my podcast team of Hannah and Jack in our virtual studio to reflect on his adventure. And we chat about all sorts of other nature matters. It's really great fun, well worth listening on for. And please don't miss our podcast survey. You can find a link to it in the description to this episode. If you complete the survey, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of seven £100 Voucher Express gift cards. And you can find all the details and terms and conditions in that link in the description. For now, though, I leave you in the genial company of Kevin Parr, his adders and his lost world of wildlife. What a morning. Stone chat getting rather excited. I'm beside the seaside.
there's uh, Skylarks in good voice. Cold start, thick frost at home, and uh, good touch of frost here too. I've come to the seaside not to look at the sea. I do like the sea, I don't have the same affinity as my wife Sue who grew up by the sea and needs it almost. She needs to just come and sit beside it and feel insignificant and overwhelmed by it. She gets a real emotional boost. So I'm trying to uh, vicariously feed her what I'm seeing this morning. But when we come together, um, we'll walk down the slope, get to the bottom, see we'll go and watch the waves. I'll go the other way because Behind the beach is a rather special piece of habitat that I find absolutely absorbing. This is Chesil Beach at the western end. The sun's rising over Portland. To the west I can see Golden Cap looking rather splendid. Charmouth Lime Bay. The Chesil's a barrier beach built up with pebbles about 18 miles long. And just along the back of those pebbles, area of land that is effectively the links and it's no good for agriculture. Nothing can really get a firm grip on it because it's battered by the wind and the salt from the waves. And it's dense scrub. Lots of blackthorn and hawthorn. Bramble. Nothing growing too high because the wind keeps it pressed down, makes it really dense. And in another month, or even less than that, it'd just be alive with migrants. Wheat here and white throats and lesser white throats. But I'm not really here for the birds today. I'm here for something else. Put the uh, record on again, because I've got quite a shouty Shetty's warbling. Oh, no doubt. Go silent now. Linnet singing. Chetty's Orbers, one of those birds that sort of 40 years ago was uh, pretty unusual. They're a warbler that doesn't migrate, so uh, it's benefited from climate change.
couple of linnets just nearby. Isn't that lovely? Off they go. Of course, the Chetty's warbler shut up now. But they spread further and further north. And there's something you expect to hear, certainly in spots like this. This one has gone rather quiet. I partly chose this morning to come here because of a light northerly wind, which um, I knew would bring the temperature down. There you go, hopefully you heard that chetty's then. Turn my back on it, I can see it just really shouts it out loud. If you're standing next to one, and you, you don't often see them, they're quite skulking. But if you're standing next to one, it can make you jump. There it goes. Probably hear that stain chat just uh, chatting on top of the hawthorn on my left and the skylark overhead, which I can see quite well. Shame about the traffic, and that's um, going back to the breeze. The wind's just carrying a little bit of noise from the road. But in turn, the sea, which you might just hear rumbling in the background, the sea should be quite quiet today. Northerly wind normally leaves the south coast fairly flat. As it is, you can hear the slow rumble in the background of the pebbles being dragged back. But when it's blowing a bit, especially from southwest, and it throws some big waves, and it can be almost deafening. <laughs> it's far too loud to try and record. And again, I said I wasn't coming here to look for birds, but they're an easy distraction. And a very pleasant one. Of course, you never really come solely for one specific thing. But much as um, many people could tell you the date of their earliest ever swallow or, or their first cuckoo, I uh, can tell you the date of my earliest adder and latest. Since moving to Dorset nearly 10 years ago, listen to those stone chats. being closer to reptiles, all six species of native British reptiles. I particularly enjoyed getting to know adders a whole lot better, I think they're much maligned, 
or overlooked is probably more realistic. I know when I recently recorded a perch fishing trip, Hannah Beckett, Plodcast HQ, mentioned that she's not really inspired by cold-blooded creatures. Fish, obviously, being the topic of that conversation. Reptiles, too, are cold-blooded and probably case of chetties again probably not inspiring hannah so i want to try and convey my first sighting of this year and it's a lot later than i'd normally hope to see one and we're almost at the end of february i say a lot later a fortnight later i like to try and see one by sort of mid-february my earliest ever is the 28th of January, latest being the 12th of December. And although they hibernate, <laughs> it's not often you get to see a chetis as well as I, as well as I'm seeing this one. Oh yeah, although it's cold and the temperature was minus one first thing. And it's only probably just nudging up but freezing. I did know that there would be no clouds in the sky today. And this is probably the best time of year to see adders. Because they're slow. Without cloud, the sun will hopefully stir the adders quite quickly. And even though... Uh, the air temperature won't be very warm. I can feel the warmth of the sun. Something that's cold-blooded will surely respond. Oh, always good to have a lean on a gate. It's one of life's cheapest pleasures. But I'm on the links now. This is part of the Southwest Coast Path. This next little stretch is somewhere I'm hoping I should see an adder. I've seen them here before. It's good habitat in that. It's south facing. So it gets lots of sun. It's, it's only a thin strip of, of hedge almost, but it's, um, it's really dense. And these are spots where the adders will have hibernated. And early in the year, they'll come out, get a bit of sunshine, warm the blood, but not go venturing much further than a foot or two away from the sanctuary that they've just spent the coldest months. They'll wait until they're stirred by uh, hormones <laughs> driven to go and breed before they actually do that and then they'll eat and they'll sloth. For now though, if you see an adder at this time of year, it's going to be there for a good month at least. But also if you see an adder at this time of year, they're worth 
appreciating from a, a distance and leaving be as you can. Try not to disturb them. They'll be icy cold, so there's a reed bunting down the reed bed. So they'll be pretty sluggish, lethargic. They don't want to waste energy having to flee a nosy person. That's quite a obliging chetties. I'm going to start to creep along and look for likely spots. And they can vary each year. Just subtle little changes. But it's a good time to start to think cold-blooded. Imagine you're driven by a need to warm your blood temperature. That comes before anything else. So you want to find a spot that's dry and adders need well-drained soil or at least areas where they can remain dry. Out of the wind, tucked up and with a really good vista, southern-facing vista where they can soak up the sun and get, get most of the sun all day. If you start to look for those spots, they're not going to be in the shade on a day like this. They are only going to be in the sun. And they're only going to be a tail flick away from sanctuary, so they can just slip back in. So I'm looking for a, a spot that, in my mind, if I was an adder, I could zip back into my root mass where I'm nice and safe. But in this early morning sunshine, I can get my blood temperature going. Not sure if you can hear the crows in the background. They've gone a bit quieter now. There's suddenly a kerfuffle with the crows and the gulls. It sounded as though they were upset with something. Sure enough, there was a peregrine. Crows have pursued it westward. It's a rather nice sight and making up for the lack of snakes because um, I've, <laughs> I've walked past all my hotspots and found nothing. One of the big concerns about adders that they're disappearing from large areas of Britain and they're not going to come back. The prime reason is habitat loss. Scrub is um, so often tidied or removed to create a different kind of habitat or to cultivate or plant trees. And the adders are, they're not pioneers. They don't travel great distances. They're not gonna go and find new spots. And I think in 10 or 20 years, we're gonna face the reality of them disappearing quite rapidly. I think as populations become isolated and they become more and more inbred and there's no genetic splicing going on they're just going to dwindle these little uh, islands where they've been for forever i think they'll just disappear and it'll be not too late but it it'll be late in the day to return them 
And they're such a beautiful animal. My parents moved house about five or six years ago and had all of our old school books and things in the loft, most of which was cleared and we, we went and each of us kids went and had a look through and kept anything we'd like and I found a school book from when I was six. On the first page is a picture of a tree with clearly an adder and a little mouse and it just says here is an adder it is after a dormouse two o's in door of course and then later on I found another book that's probably ten and a picture of badgers and <laughs> one of the badgers busy eating an adder so my interest was cemented when I was young and they weren't something that I would have encountered. I think my interest was driven mainly out of fear. You're learning all of the different species of animal that you might happen upon. Learning that there was a species of snake that was venomous, that could do you harm. I think I probably felt that if I liked the adders, they might like me. It's often been my philosophy in all shades of life. Quite how they'd know I'd written about them in a school book, I'm not sure. Better to be generous than, um, than risk the wrath. I remember my first one was a very brief sighting uh, down in Purbeck, where my dad grew up, um, and where adders are doing quite well still certainly were when dad was a kid all I really saw was a tail disappearing into the undergrowth but it made it real it made uh, this myth this idea of a snake an adder a viper gave it substance and then a few years later probably when I was about 10 or 11 we were holidaying on Dartmoor. And my brother and I were running down this um, path between the gorse, not really caring too much at that time. And I, my foot was coming down to the ground. And I looked down and everything went into slow motion. And there, on the path, directly beneath where my foot was going to land, was an adder. And somehow, contorted my body, stretched my leg as it dropped and reached out and missed it obviously and then was just adrenalised. I sort of felt like I'd had this close shave with death and ever since when I've been to places where adders might be I've spent a lot of time looking and then moving to a place where adders are very local has just been joyous. I've got to know individual snakes, where they tend to hang out. The snakes that, that have come at the um, extremes of the year were both in this other spot, local common. And a snake I saw uh, in mid-December, I called her Aggie. 
She was in the same spot right through the autumn into the early winter. She was incredibly tolerant. I could sit down beside her. She'd taste the air, which is what adders do. They're flicking that tongue. Many people find the tongue particularly unpleasant, but um, it's their main sense. They're tasting chemicals. And I think they're tasting adrenaline, but she would taste the air and then seemingly recognise me and then just relax. And I could, I sat right next to her, I could stroke her. She never, never fled. Whereas other snakes will dash off in a blink. I do feel adders, they're used to a lot of um, interruption from deer or cattle, sheep, where they're found alongside them and that they'll stay put whenever they can. They're not going to move if they don't have to. If you just stay relaxed, don't breathe through your mouth, nice slow breath through your nose, I think they'll sense a lack of adrenaline, a lack of energy that would come from a predator. They might just find this benign presence and think, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll sit it out probably can't see me, probably isn't interested. That's my theory anyway. I've reached another gate on which I'm leaning. I can see a little strip of gorse in the next field and if there isn't an adder there, I'm into eating hat territory. I'll go and have a look. I was getting slightly concerned that that hat comment might come back and haunt me. I've made three quarters of this little strip, which is about 150 yards maybe, and I'm seeing nothing and I just thought, oh god, but it looks so perfect. I just disturbed a couple of snipe, boggy ground to my left, and now I've looked back right. And I've got the first adder of my ear. I can't get very close without disturbing it. So I'm not going to try. So it's a male. I can't see it all. I can just see that lovely little zigzag. And about sort of three inches maybe of its body. Tucked up into some dead gorse. It's tricky as well because my shadow is uh, falling exactly where I don't want it. But it's an adder. Yeah. That's made me very happy. First of the year. Yeah. No need to eat hats. Thank you to the snipe for just taking me a couple of steps away from the gorse. And now I'll try and uh, find another and get a better view and describe it a bit, a bit more fully. That one I just don't want to, I can't get close without moving, without it moving I don't think. I'll leave it be. I've gone for a change of tactic. 
because my shadow's quite long and falling so <laughs> perfectly in the wrong place. So I'm walking further away and using my binoculars, which is a very good way of looking, as I've just discovered. I've, there's a spot here, I've got a line of gorse, and there's just sort of a little cut into it almost, maybe it's once a fox run or something. There's two adders coiled up together at the back of it. I'd say they're, they're both males. Males normally come out earlier than the females that, um, that are bigger, so they need a bit longer to warm up. Buzzard's calling well. Generally, the females will have the zigzag will be slightly less dark, and the background colours more brown. Whereas a male will have a darker zigzag, quite a silvery body behind. But there's a lot of variations. You'll get very dark adders, melanistic. I don't see, I've only seen one along the coast actually, I've seen more elsewhere. They look incredible, glossy, when the sun's on them you'll get this sort of blue sheen coming back, it's incredible. But if I could pick a spot, the, the first adder was in a, a spot I wouldn't have expected, but if I could draw a spot of where an adder would be at this time of year. It would be here. And it's so good, there's two. <laughs> They're not big. Um, typical sort of male size, maybe smaller one, I guess. It's hard to tell because they're coiled up together. I guess it's sort of 18 inches maybe. The other one looks a bit bigger, 20 inches long, which is a fairly typical size, they, they're not big snakes. Female might reach 30 inches, I'm talking inches I should be talking centimetres, I think 80, is that 80 centimetres? Maybe. That's as bad as big as they'll get, but they have been recorded larger and they'll grow bigger elsewhere, I think in Scandinavia they'll been recorded considerably longer. I wonder if that's because they can hibernate more consistently when the extremes of weather are more consistent. Perhaps that aids the metabolism, lets them live a bit longer, get bigger. This one now, I, oh these two, I'm going to try and get a photo off, so I'm going to switch this off. I could share the sunshine with you too. I think you'd 
probably not believe how perfect it really is here. Skylark singing. Dunnock Gangwell. Linnets and stone chats. There's a water row just now from the reaper. Jetties. <laughs> and the sea. And curiously, I've walked back and checked all my normal hotspots and seen no more adders. As I approached those two, they'd actually separated, and the smaller one was posing absolutely beautifully. Just focused in on the eye, amazing red eye, eye of Sauron. looks quite sinister and yet it also looks really vulnerable and I think I'm probably reading that emotion because I fear for the adders and it was watching me knew I was there but sometimes you can tell the way it's positioned it's gonna trust to camouflage and uh, not move unless it absolutely has to. And I could creep in, get a couple of photographs and uh, edge back out without disturbing it, it stayed put and that's always so satisfying. I have to channel my, um, my inner bovine Imagine I'm a cow coming in, just, I don't care about adders, I just want to chew a bit of this nice grass here. So all of my demeanor, all of my chemicals are passive. I'm just on the way back to the car, which, and I'm a bit worried because I've <laughs> missed the time. I've been here longer than I should and the ticket probably has long expired. There's one more spot I'll check, but um, it's sort of, oh, it's been a stunning morning and disappointed to have not seen anything in my usual spots, but fantastic to find three snakes in a different spot. And just glorious to hear the skylark singing beside the sea. So that was the fantastic Kevin Parr taking us on a lovely trip to the Dorset coast to meet some adders. However, what a joy it is, and for a first time ever on the podcast postbag, we've actually got Kev in our studio with our regulars Hannah and Jack. Kevin, welcome. How nice to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And nice, nice to meet you all. And well, it's very quaint, of course. Yes, yes. Well, you know, we've we have met in the flesh, but it does seem a long time ago. And I think it might have been on the River Wye 
It was. It was in a pub, I think. What a tremendous pub it was. <laughs> it was. And it was a different time of year. It was, in fact, it was almost, it would have been October and, and it was a very different time and it was quite a bit wild and windy. And It was one of those pubs where you're very glad to get inside it and then it feels very solid against the sort of dark and stormy night. And you guys, you and Chris Yates, the fishing fisherman and writer, you were off catching some wonders on... Barble and chub with the with the targets, but um, I'm really glad I found some sort of fish with, and Hannah's looking blank. <laughs> yeah, fish, fish again. <laughs> Don't mention the chub as well. They they they've got a bad rap around here. The tadpole munching chub. chub. Yeah. So that's that's another tale that the, the chub is now swimming free in uh, in the river Usk. He's probably been munched by a heron or something like that. That's, yeah. Uh, the, the story of life. But Kevin, it's great to have you along. Um, we have lots of, you know, it's really, I would love to see an adder, but you seem to have plenty of reptiles around in Dorset. You're, all, you're always tweeting about grass snakes in your compost heap. Um, how, how do you find these reptiles? What's what's going on? I, I think like a reptile, <laughs> but rather like, I think that comes a bit from fishing as well, where um, I, it's good to think like a fish in order to catch a fish. And by doing that, you're forgetting that you're, you've got to forget you're warm-blooded and think like it's something that's cold-blooded, that's more reactive to its environment than we are. It can't necessarily choose where it wants to go. It's dictated by temperature and, and uh, conditions. And, and then your whole metabolism, your whole behaviour is dictated by your body temperature rather than you know, what might actually be happening around you. I mean, we're very lucky here. I've got grass snakes coming out of my ears almost um i've had them in the garden on my house i can confirm this i can confirm this looking looking at you on on, on, through the power of zoom they're literally untangling themselves i could i could go and fetch one now very easily um and bring it to show you but i won't but um but yeah we so grass snakes we're very lucky with and um we're in a good part of the country for adders and for all six native reptiles which obviously i live down in dorset so the Dorset Heaths are the best place for smooth snakes, certainly, and sand lizards, um, where they're quite common. It's very odd when you go to certain spots and, um, and yeah, suddenly realise that these incredible rarities, which are so, uh, so, so local in their distribution and just a handful of sites, but where they are, they're incredibly common. It's very weird. But back, but back, back to Adders briefly. Have we missed Adders for this year? It's still a good time. Um, they're just starting to move now. I think um, I had a walk this week and I found a couple of skins um, on the local common. So they've... See, I find I find skins on the local common, but that's a totally different thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, you know, a different class of inhabitant on our commons here. So you found the, 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 the shedded skins. Yeah, you find awesome. the shedded skins. And, when, and, and it, had a, it will spend the winter in hibernacular so underground you know in a root mass somewhere and um and they'll pop out time to time when the sun's shining um and they'll just bask but they'll always stay within you know close proximity to where they've spent the winter um and then for the first sort of part of the year you know certainly from late january um or even earlier that they'll start emerging especially the males but they'll stay put they'll just be sort of warming up then going back in at night, especially the weather recently, which has been so cold at night, they're not going to actually go out and hunt because it's been, I've had frost after frost, but 
but then they will generally go out, mate, and then after they've mated, they'll shed their skins and then eat. Um, so the shedded skin is a sign that they're actually moving. They're, they're leaving the spot where they've spent the winter and they're, they've, they're on the move. And yeah, they, they'll shed again at least once more before the year's out. Is that because they're growing or they just wear exactly, out? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they, they're growing and, and the skin. And it's amazing, the whole thing comes off and, and you can find skins. In fact, I should have grabbed one because I found there was a grass snake skin, a perfect one I found earlier just um, over by the compost heap. Oh. But um, yeah, and it all comes off in one go. And if you get a really neat one, it looks fantastic because even the eyelids, because they, snakes don't have eyelids. You can tell when a snake's about to slough because they go a bit, you can see the sort of, you know, it's almost lifting, like it, it's looking oh. dry. And they're really blind then. And you can, you know, sneak up, up and poke them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. You can pull faces and all sorts. <laughs> they just don't know. They just don't. <laughs> I, I took my son adder hunting on uh, the weekend. We didn't, in a, in a good local spot in the Brecon Beacons. I must confess, I've never seen an adder in the Brecon Beacons, though I, I'm told they're here in good numbers. We didn't find any, but he was quite nervous about being bitten. I mean, for the purposes of you know, reassuring people, very few people get bitten by adders. They do, and um, and adders are so shy, naturally. Um, they will disappear at the first opportunity. Um, and if you're quiet, they will stay quiet. They, the last thing they want to do is bite, bite you because that's their last line of defence. But also they don't want to waste venom because um, if they you know if they lose waste all their venom in in something that they're not going to eat then they've got nothing to to catch actual prey with so it's the the likelihood is it probably is at this time of year as well when they're a bit dozy and a bit slow because they're the blood's cold they're not too quick to move and they might someone might tread on one or um or more often a much more common is dogs oh right okay yeah and investigate everything with their nose so um They'll pop a nose in and sniff an adder and it'll panic and, and give them a glancing blow. But dogs, so it dogs. does happen. Yeah, people and, and the people are bitten every year. I've known I know a few people who have been bitten and it's pretty unpleasant. But um the, the key is not to panic if you are, because if you start but easy to say. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you start um I, I knew one chap who who got bitten and and um he suddenly thought, Oh, I need to I need to, right, what do I need to do? Oh, I better go to hospital. So he ran um, <laughs> back to his car and he, I said, how far? It's about a mile. Because by the time he got to his car, he'd been running and he got his adrenaline going and the venom had gone all around his body and he got back to his car and just sort of <laughs> fell over. But he would have been okay. I mean, he, he didn't need anti-venom or anything, got to hospital. But, but yeah, if you should get bit, bitten, and then uh, I think probably phone 111 rather than 999 or, or rush yeah. off into hospital because... It could be that you just need to take it gently and, and as long as someone's watching over you. Um, but otherwise, a trip to A&E and there is anti-venom. But it is suggested as well that more people historically have died from the anti-venom, or certainly since anti-venom was, was invented, than, than possibly the actual venom itself. So, oh, really? Yeah, I think so the, the, the mid-70s of... was the last fatality, so it's a very rare occurrence. Okay, so we really shouldn't get hit up about adipites. As, as, no, and, and the saddest—I mean, the saddest of all—is that there's so few adders, and they're, they're disappearing rapidly. And um, so that's another reason why it's very unlikely, mm. which is sad in itself. Well, it's really desperate, desperate to see these sort of declines everywhere. Hannah, are you con- you convinced by about cold blood blooded creatures? 
Yes, I didn't want to be. I was like, oh, he's trying to convince me to like them and I'm not going to. Um, but I think it was when you started talking about your looking at your old school books and looking at the drawings that you've done. And then I remembered that feeling that you have when you're a kid where you're kind of um, obsessed by the macabre. It's like, oh, this slightly like dangerous thing is the interesting thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, these are quite sexy creatures. They are. They are. I mean, they are stunning. And when you get close up and you see the eye, and um, which is just amazing, and it is. I've mentioned in. Oh, there we go. I'm showing showing everyone a photo I took of the only uh, of only the second adder I ever saw, and that's from 2008. And I haven't updated my adder quota since then. But yeah, the red eye is very visible. The family pictures of uh, snakes you've got there. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, what else have you got? <laughs> The, the rest, the rest, I can't even show on audio. It's just snake <laughs> Beautiful animals, surprisingly small. I think a lot of people, when they do see an adder, they are surprised at how little they are. Um, a sort of, you know, two foot or sorry, sixty centimetre snake is typical. You know, that's a decent sized male, and a, a female might grow to yeah, eighty centimetres, but they're not big at all. So that often takes people by surprise. Really tiddly. Yeah, yeah, that's very small. I mean, it is sad about the decline of them, really tragic. Why, why are they, I mean, why, I mean, just on the, the last bit on Addis, but why are they in such terrible... Habitat loss is the big thing. They, you know, they love scrub. I think that traditionally they're sort of woodland species, but um, certainly woodland edges and just areas of, we've got some decent understory and lots of cover, just scrub and, and gorse and... Um, in lots of places they can just hide out and whereas that's that's disappeared but more importantly those little pockets have been isolated and then the adders have hung on because an adder will live to 20 um and so people are still seeing the snakes there whereas they're not actually breeding um because the ones that are left have got you know the genetic line has become well <laughs> too linear so they're not able to breed um and then they're just marooned these little pockets and then they're disappearing and i think certainly in some of the midlands counties they're now i think three or four counties they've sort of officially extinct um but i think in yeah 10 15 20 years they're just gonna we're gonna see they're just gone from vast swathes of yeah. lowland britain but they're also in decline in other places it's sort of um other areas where um, you know, where they're not so impacted by habitat loss. So they're probably impacted by climate change because they're a bit like hedgehogs, which hibernating but can't hibernate because the winters are that much milder. Um, and uh, if you wake up in the winter and you're dozy, you're easy pickings for, for various predators. Um, yeah, it's a slippery slope, unfortunately. Uh, is the public too inured to sort of snakes and cold-blooded things i think that's that's a problem and i think there is efforts being made and certainly the um the amphibian and reptile conservation trust are doing what they can but um funding's limited and um and yeah public interest it's not quite they're not that cuddly which is <laughs> no it's not like beavers or storks or some of these big white-tailed eagles that get all this press and yeah reintroductions reintroductions of adders they seem to have that sort of villain status that I guess sharks suffer with a bit that 
everyone sees them as these big baddies and in films they're always this terrifying thing and i guess that just doesn't help them at all because no people don't like them <laughs> exactly exactly and snakes traditionally i mean they are or vermin i think the term vermin comes from worm doesn't it is it latin or, or french yeah, but so so um people always saw snakes as as vermin and were killed i mean and i think that's still happening i read one in gloucestershire one of a very thinning colony was found it obviously been you know bludgeoned to death um about a week ago which is really sad so people are still doing that and historically that's happened um and it's very difficult to shake that sort of stigma so we're really appealing through this podcast for people to love adders a little bit more and and sort of try and they're part of the bigger picture they're beautiful and really important to preserve them as well as the big obviously charismatic creatures but yeah and we only have six six native species of reptiles so let's yeah we're not exact we're not exactly bulging at the seams with reptiles it's um what else are you looking forward to um catching up with this year kevin i am this well immediately i'm looking forward to seeing a hobby um which we we get over the garden quite a bit which is quite exciting but they're fantastic birds um i've just i went for a walk just before um we did this call actually and was a bit disappointed with the amount of birds that are out there there's not doesn't seem to be really building up any momentum so i'm looking forward to a sort of bigger influx of of um migrants and um which should come do you and think then, it's the yeah. temperature? Is that why they're not I coming? think so, yeah. I think, And just that steady northerly wind is just pushing them back. I think because a couple of years ago there was um, a situation where we had similar weather patterns and then and a lot of swallows had come across and I, and I kept seeing people up sort of further north complaining, where's the swallows, you know, right into May? And they, we had swallows all over the place. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Um, but, yeah, I think so. I think they're just held back by the wind and and the cold. And yeah, the cold nights, which isn't good, keeps the insect life down. We should also mention that you're a keen, keen angler and and your your fishing, your recent perch cast <laughs> um, was is now our most listened to podcast, this being our hundredth podcast that we've published. Well, that's pretty impressive. So there's a there's there's a market there's a market for softly spoken uh, but high 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 tension. Will he won't he catch a perchy? podcast thank you for that kevin and also have you got some fishing adventures planned got- well i i traditionally there's a close season on um course fishing there's right. a, from mid-march to mid-june oh we're in the fallow period okay we are and even though you, I, it's it was long ago lifted 20 years ago it's lifted on still waters but i still i still um hang the rods up um for three months and and i often mean to go fly fishing but i'm a terrible fly fisher um that can't, i just can't cast and i'm self-taught and I'm, it's one of those things i'm someone who if something's difficult um just don't do it you know but also because spring is just so full of other things like reptiles and butterflies I, i've been getting more and more into butterflies and uh and yeah so i i'm quite happy in fact i quite look forward to the end of the season the fishing season even though it's my favorite time the last couple of weeks but partly why it's so exciting is because the season's changing so rapidly at the start of March. So it, it, the end of the season comes and I'm, I breathe a sigh of relief and go off and you know, leave all the rods and, 
and you know stinky trousers and things and, um, <laughs> and my wife will talk to me again as well then if I'm allowed in the same room <laughs> but then then yeah go off into the undergrowth and look for other things and which is um which is what I do and then yeah look forward to June and that'll start again and in a completely different world which is another reason I like the break because you leave it and it's there's signs of spring coming but it's um it's very much the end of winter and then by the time you go back in mid-june um it's completely transformed which is always lovely lovely you build a good picture I, I, on that note i would say follow kevin on twitter because you're always finding things and discovering things and noticing things that many of us don't spot and it's a real delight but we're going to get one more job out of you before we let you, we let you go back to hunting uh, adders newts whatever it is that's brimstone brimstone's perch um and that is to reveal our sound of the week okay well yeah this is from well across the across the pond again as they say hello fergus hannah and jack just wanted to say firstly how much i enjoy your podcast your recent narratives have made a wonderful escape from the already hotter days here in atlanta i live beside a brook and wanted to share the dawn chorus that i wake to an ornithologist I am not, <laughs> and I have no real clue as to which birds I listen to, but wanted to forward this recording in the hope that others could enjoy it too. With best regards to Neil. I mean, it would be very interesting to hear the difference because I quite, I quite like the idea that um, I know the dawn chorus here fairly well and can pick out the individual sounds and identify them. So an American dawn chorus could be very different. That was a lovely sound of the week all the way from Atlanta. And thank you, Neil, for that. And thank you also to Kevin for joining us this week and giving us his expertise and giving us a taste of naturalist life in Dorset, which is wonderful. And to Hannah and Jack, without whom this podcast wouldn't exist. Please do leave feedback and ratings on whichever pod provider you use. It helps us enormously. But for now, goodbye. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>